Hey, welcome everybody. So glad that you can be here today joining us online. As you know, we are in a study of the book of Revelation. And for the past few sermons in our study of Revelation, well, I'm just going to be honest with you, it has been pretty heavy. And by heavy, what I mean is that we've been spending a lot of time learning about the devil and all of his plans to lead the whole world astray. And we've learned that the devil, he's going to cause all kinds of havoc. He's trying to destroy the church. He wants to stop everybody from following Jesus. But we also learn that he will not win. What happens to him? He takes an eternal swim in the lake of fire. We learn that God's wrath will be swift and just and it will be the end of the devil and his demons and his allies and all who align themselves with him. They all go into the lake of fire and it's going to be the biggest lopsided victory for God that the world has ever seen. You know, perhaps the, the heaviest part about studying the book of Revelation, for me anyway, is realizing just how many people are going to be joining in the devil's fate. The names of those who are left out of the book of life far exceed those that will be included in it. And this reality right there, well, that weighs heavily on us as we contemplate what God has called us to do and the urgency that he has called us to it. Today, however, we are moving into Revelation chapter 21 and all the heaviness of the book of Revelation that has been hanging on us for weeks, well, that is about to change. We are going to change from God's wrath and the heaviness of it all to a huge celebration, to a huge victory party. That's because we are leaving all the heaviness of the devil and we are receiving all the glory of heaven and it is awesome. Our focus is about to change. So if you haven't done so yet, please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. And what John helps us do from this point forward for the rest of the book of Revelation is he helps us have this amazing picture of our eternal reward to see what is in store for all of us who will be victorious until the very end. When I, let me ask you a question. When you think about heaven, and we all do this from time to time, we think about eternity and we wonder about what it will be like, and when you do that, what kind of images, what kind of pictures come to your mind when you think of heaven or the afterlife or, or those things? Do you see pictures of harps? Do you see angels floating around and with, <laughs> with little wings? I mean, is that the image you get? Do you picture this angelic choir you know, in heaven, singing all the time. What kind of pictures? Do, do you kind of get pictures or ideas that maybe we're going to float around on, on clouds or maybe that all we're going to do in heaven is just sing, endless singing? Maybe, maybe your idea of heaven is that it's going to be one never-ending worship service. It just goes on for all eternity. Can you, can you imagine? Do you think, I mean, honestly, do you think that heaven is going to be one long worship service? To me, that sounds like the opposite of heaven. But I think many people think that it's going to be just that. Do you get this image? And it's an image that has been very popularized in our culture. But the image is of St. Peter, and he's standing at the pearly gates, and he is there dressed in a white robe, and he has some kind of clipboard or notepad, and he's taking some notes, and he's evaluating this long line of people, and he is trying to decide who he's going to let into heaven and who he is going to turn away from heaven. Is that what you think about? Is that what you see when you think about heaven? 
Hey, you know, speaking of Peter and the pearly gates, did you know that a couple of years ago, there was actually uh, a little bit of an overcrowding problem in heaven? And there was too many people in there. They were getting too many at once. And so God said, you know what? On this one day, one day alone, um, we're only going to let people into heaven who died having the worst day of their life. I mean, it's the worst day ever. For those people, God said, we're going to let them into heaven on this day. So he said, Peter, that's what I want you to do. So Peter goes out to the pearly gates and there's this long line of people waiting to see if they get into heaven. And so Peter goes to the first man and he says, sir, tell me about the day you died. And the guy goes, oh man, you are not going to believe what happened on the day that I died. You see, I was convinced that my wife was having an affair on me. So I came home from work early because I was convinced I was going to catch her with him and and, and I was going to catch him in the act. And so I walk into our apartment and I go all over the place and I didn't see him. And then I walked out on our balcony and we live on the 25th floor of this apartment complex. And wouldn't you know it, when I looked over the edge of the balcony, there was this guy hanging by his fingertips on my balcony. So I went inside, I grabbed my hammer, and I started smashing his hands until he fell. But you see, he landed in some bushes, and he didn't die. And so I went inside, and I pushed the refrigerator over the balcony on top of him. And I'm telling you, Peter, the stress of all of that activity caused me to have a heart attack, and I died. And Peter was like, whoa, I agree with you. That is a very, very bad day. In fact, I think I'm going to call that a crime of passion. I think you should come into heaven. And so he, he welcomes this man into heaven. And then he goes to the next guy in line. And he says, sir, t- tell me about the day you died. And the guy says, oh, you're not going to believe what happened to me, Peter. You see, I was out on my balcony. I was doing my aerobics. You see, I live on the 26th floor of my apartment complex. And I sprained my ankle and I fell over the edge. But I happened to catch the ledge of the balcony below. And then this maniac comes and he starts pounding my fingers with a hammer. And I fell. But the good thing is I landed in some bushes. And then I look up and the guy drops a refrigerator on me. Oh, man, it was an awful day. And and Peter goes, dude, that is a bad day. You know what? You come on into heaven because that was a terrible day. And then he goes to the third guy in line. He says, man, tell me about the day you died. And the guy goes, Peter, you're not going to believe it. I was naked and I was hiding in a refrigerator when, and (laughs) I hope you get that joke. I'm going to assume that right now you are laughing your heads off at home because right now I am staring at hundreds of empty chairs, but I trust that you are laughing at home because I think that's a funny joke. Hey, I hate to burst your bubble, but that is not a true story just in case you didn't know. Let's be clear. That is not a true story. Heaven doesn't have an overcrowding problem and Peter is not the one who decides at the pearly gates if you get in or not. But in reality, when you think about heaven, what comes to mind when you think about those things? Well, these two chapters in Revelations, chapter 21 and chapter 22, it's John giving us a snapshot, a quick glimpse at what heaven will be like. And and he writes down everything that he sees. And if I had to guess, the written description that he gives us in these two chapters of the Bible, they pale in comparison to what he actually Saw. I mean, truthfully, who in their right mind could take it all in? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Even John, with all of his abilities to write, he probably didn't have the range of words needed 
to describe heaven. I mean, we must remember that the book of Revelation is highly figurative. In other words, some of the descriptions of the new Jerusalem may simply be John's best that he could come up with, with the words that he knows and his earthly understanding of vocabulary to describe it. Will we be actually walking on streets of gold or is that John's way of describing the beauty of what he is seeing? Well, I I don't know. Regardless though, regardless, the reality behind John's descriptions are extremely real. What we read in these next two chapters is a description of the reward for those who remain faithful and victorious until the very end. John's description of the afterlife, well, it is dripping with symbolism. And one thing is for sure, we will be with the Lord and it will be more amazing than what you or I could ever fathom that it will be. So let's look down at our scripture today. Revelation 21, let's start in verse one. It says this, this is John. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Can we admit something together today? This is now the 12th week studying the book of Revelation and we desperately needed chapter 21, didn't we? We probably needed it more than we realized. You know, for me personally, Revelation chapter 12 all the way to chapter 20, well, that gets really heavy for me. A great deal of that time in those chapters is spent learning about the devil and his allies and how he's leading the whole world astray and followed that as God's wrath and the final judgment for the devil and all those that rejected him. And let's be honest, that is a lot to take in. That is a lot of weight, you know, and, and wouldn't we prefer to just more focus on things like, like Matthew chapter 19, verse 14? Do you know what that says? This is when Jesus was little children and Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and they went away. Boy, I'd much rather study and preach sermons like that. I think we all would. Don't you prefer all the love of the Lord your God parts versus the wrath of God parts? I know I certainly do. I'd rather study and preach on texts that talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. I love those parts. 
I'm being honest, I like preaching that a lot more than I like preaching the weeping and gnashing of teeth parts of the Bible. All that to say this, we needed Revelation 21 to complete this picture. Coming to Revelation chapter 21 is kind of like the, (sighs) we made it. We made it to the end. There's a little bit of victory in coming to chapter 21 just in our study. So John paints us this picture of eternity there and it sounds incredibly awesome. He sees the new heaven and the new earth. He sees the holy city, Jerusalem. In fact, it's the new Jerusalem and it's coming down from heaven. This is the vision that John sees. Now there's plenty of debate out there, just like with lots of parts of the book of Revelation, there's plenty of debates out there. What is the exact meaning of this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven? What is the, the exact meaning of a new heaven and a new earth, the physical earth and, and, and things like that? Is John describing for us that we are going to be living on the earth and there will be another heaven? I mean, there's, there's a lot of conversation there and we're not going to get real deep into it today. But I can tell you that when I think about the afterlife, I tend to think of heaven, the new Jerusalem, all things related to eternity. I just find myself saying most of the time, we will be in glory with God. Because whether it's in the new Jerusalem or it's on the new earth or it's in heaven, um, it's in glory with God. I like what Matt Proctor says about this very thing. He says about this text, did you notice that we do not go to heaven? Instead, heaven comes to us. You know, in many ways, I kind of think about it like that as well. The reality that there are parts of the afterlife that we know right now are clear as a bell. We, We can see them in scripture. But yet, at the same time, there are many aspects, I would even say more than than, than what we do know is what we don't know. There, there are still things about heaven that remain a mystery and we won't know them until we get there. And how exciting is that thought? Re- remember what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And so the 21st chapter of Revelation, it is a snapshot. It is a glimpse of eternity. And there will be so much more to discover once we actually arrive there. I love how John refers to this new Jerusalem. He says it's God's dwelling place. And he says that God will now dwell with his people. And if you think about that thought right now, just think about that all alone. Forget everything else you've ever heard or ever learned about heaven. That idea right there, that God now dwells with his people. That alone will be worth it. God is there and we will talk with him and we will walk with him and we will know him and all the mysteries about God will be gone. Why? Because we will be together. We will be in glory with God. And glory with God will be as real and maybe even more real, more physical than anything that we are experiencing right now on this side of the return of Christ. It will be so real. It will be so vivid. And it will be very physical. Look in verse nine. It goes on. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. 
like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Bottom line, my friends, this place is awesome. That's how we should understand this. This place is awesome. Remember, John is describing what he sees with words that he knows. So he uses words like this, glory and brilliance, precious, jewels, clear, great, gold, big, long, wide. And and I promise you, it will be better than that. You know, when reading this description of the new Jerusalem and the afterlife, when you read it very carefully, you can see this city really as a metaphor. Cities are what? Cities are where people congregate. Cities are where people live together. A city is a symbol for community. And this particular uh, community, this particular city, symbolizes God's Community. Now just think about the symbolism that we read about in this city. There's 12, there's 12 what? There's 12 gates that bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, think about it like this. All the Old Testament people. This city has 12 foundations. And these 12 foundations bear the names of the church's 12 apostles. You could think of it like this. It represents all the New Testament people. This place that John is seeing is a community for believers. That is what it is. This is where God's people are all gathered. And there is going to be lots and lots and lots of people. There will be people there. The Bible indicates from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every skin color will be represented in heaven. There will be people in heaven surprisingly enough, that you did not get along with here on earth. Does that surprise you? Or do you suppose that God only forgives certain people that you haven't? Heaven will be filled with people, but one of the best things of all is that the people in heaven are going to include many of our friends and many of our family, those who have died in Christ. How awesome will it be to be reunited with those people who have been cut off from us in this life by death. Remember, what is death? Death is a consequence of sin. But in heaven, what happens? Everything will be made right and we will be reunited with all of those loved ones whom we've been separated with and how wonderful will that day be? I can't see your hands, but if you know somebody in heaven right now that you can't wait to see again, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to nudge the person next to you and say, I got somebody in heaven that I cannot wait to see and I cannot wait to that day when I'll be reunited with them. My hand goes up. As most of you know, I lost my father back in November. And you know, my father loved the Lord. He served the Lord his entire life. I have never doubted for a second these last seven months that my dad was anywhere other than heaven. I know he is there. And I know that I will see him again one day. 
And as I study chapter 21 and chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, that, that truth becomes even more real and more grounded in me by every time I study it. I know I'm gonna see my dad again and you will see many of your loved ones too who have died in Christ. You know, I think about my own family tree and my ancestry. I, I could not exactly tell you who was the ancestor of mine who's responsible for G, bringing Jesus into our family. I know for sure that I can trace Christianity back all the way to my great-grandfather whose name was H.C. Williams. And uh, he was a preacher like me in the Christian church. And I'll be honest with you, he died before I was born. But I can't wait to meet him. I don't know who in my family history changed our family tree by believing the good news of Jesus Christ. But somebody did. And they passed that down. And that faith in Jesus Christ has trickled down through our family until it got to me. And I can't wait to meet him or her who is responsible for bringing our family into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I look forward to seeing my grandfather again. My grandfather uh, is the one who I named my firstborn son after, Neil. I have several more grandparents who I've never met that I long to see in heaven, and what a wonderful reunion that will be. Which brings me to this question. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you haven't thought about it. But the question is this. How are we gonna know if it's our family members in heaven or not? Are we gonna recognize each other? How will we know it's them? You know, nowhere in scripture does it say that we lose our individuality in heaven. In fact, quite the opposite. If you remember in the New Testament, Jesus went through the transfiguration and, and Moses and Elijah joined him in that. Well, they had been dead for years, but, but they knew who they were. They kind of kept their identity. You know, Jesus tells a story about the parable of, the, of Lazarus and, and the rich man. They seemed to keep their identity. David, whose son died, he said, you know, he cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. And there seems to be some acknowledgement that we will absolutely recognize one another and, 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 and it will be wonderful. We also know that in heaven, the Bible says we will have these new heavenly bodies and we will know the people who we knew here on earth we're gonna know them in heaven too. I don't believe that our uniqueness will be any different in heaven than it is here on earth. I don't think heaven, in other words, is a sea of robots of people who all look the same way and act the same way. I don't think that's the picture of heaven we get in scripture. We're all gonna have our own recognizable personalities. And with that, we also get new glorified bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse one through four, Paul is talking about these new bodies we get. And he talks about them in terms of earthly tents and heavenly tents. And, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, one. He said, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about our bodies. If they're destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. There's an acknowledgement here that we're gonna get something else in heaven. An upgrade, if you will. First Corinthians 15, 42 says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that was sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It was sown in dishonor. It was raised in glory. It was sown in weakness. It was raised in power. It was sown in natural body. It was raised, we raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. In other words, there is an acknowledgement that these bodies are broken. They are wearing out. They are breaking down. 
They are marred by sin. But one day, we're going to get a body that is none of those things. We get new bodies. And I'll be honest with you, I'm excited about that. These new bodies will last for all eternity. And guess what you don't have to do with your new bodies? You don't have to wash your cholesterol. That's right. I think you can eat whatever you want. It's going to be wonderful. You know, Kenny Bowles, he wrote a great little book on heaven a number of years ago. And I read that book, uh, I've read it several times actually. And uh, every time I read it, there's this one question he proposes that, that makes me think. And, and he, or it's really more of a statement than a question. He says, I believe that when we get to heaven, we will have all five of our senses in heaven. You know the senses we have here? Sight, smell, taste, touch, all that stuff. We're gonna have those in heaven. Now let me kind of summarize for you just a few of his thoughts on that. He said, you know, personally, this is what Kenny says, I believe that we're gonna have all five senses and then probably more than that. I believe eternity will be as real as, it, as real life is to us here on earth. When one thinks about heaven, we kind of get the impression that everywhere we go, Kenny writes, we're gonna be walking around, but our feet don't actually touch the ground. We just kind of float around and everybody's gonna be dressed in pure white robes and, and uh, we're gonna do more floating than walking. But everywhere we go, we're gonna be glowing and carrying our songbooks. And Kenny goes, I don't think heaven is gonna be like that at all. And then he starts to talk about Adam and Eve in his book. And he says, think about Adam and Eve. Think about that moment they came to life that God created them. And there they are in the Garden of Eden. Can they see the blue skies, the white clouds, the green grass? Can they smell the flowers? Can they hear the birds? I mean, this paradise that they woke up into was a variety of things to behold. God made it all. And he has put that there. And he's put these five senses in our bodies so that we can enjoy what he created. I mean, each of these five senses, Kenny talks about, is designed by God and has a very specific purpose. And surrounded in the garden was this paradise of sights and sounds and smells that God provided for the pleasure of mankind. And he made this pronouncement when he created it. Oh, it is very good. Now, of course, we're not Adam and Eve, but we still live in a world that in many ways is an extension of Eden, the same plants and animals, the same colors and smells, sounds and flavors, they all still exist. Your body has the same five senses that Adam and Eve had. You continue to enjoy all the pleasures that God provides. And then Kenny asks this very important question. He says, which of these five senses do you think should be taken away to make our heavenly bodies better? He says, maybe to put it another way, when we get to heaven, shall we expect less or more than the pleasures of this current world? He says, I believe that we can expect much more pleasures, not less. You know, in my opinion, and in many ways, the new earth where we live for all eternity, it will be a better version of the Garden of Eden. We will enjoy things. We will enjoy relationships in real time. Eternal life will truly be fuller than what we could ever imagine right now. Mark Moore writes about it this way. He says, the portrait of the new Jerusalem here in chapters 22 and, uh, 21 and 22 tells of a city on a physical earth. That makes a lot of sense since the word promises resurrected bodies. 
Imagine it, Eden will be restored. There will be agriculture and architecture, culture and arts, plants, animals, camping, rivers, homes and entertainment. Can you imagine what a wonderful place this world would be without sin? That's what the new earth will be like. Can you imagine how technology uh, advancements we would, we would have if we weren't distracted by war, medicine, police protection, and government? We may well have technological advancements in the new Jerusalem that far exceed what we have or even imagine here. I, I mean, simply put, eternity is going to be amazing. What else does John say? Look at chapter 21, verse 22. He says, I did not see a temple in this city. In other words, I'm looking at this vision. I look around. I didn't see the temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. John says, I did not see a temple. And this, my friends, is a very important detail about Revelation. What did he see, though? He goes, I didn't see a temple. But what did he see? He saw the dimensions of the city. And, and, and we realize from the measurements of the city that it is what? It is a perfect cube. If you do all the math, it comes out to a perfect cube. Did you know that there is only one other perfect cube described in all of scripture? And do you know what it is or where it is? It is the holy of holies in the temple. The holy of holies is the innermost part of the temple and it is where God himself dwelt between the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant. The holy of holies had extremely limited access. Only the high priest could go in there and he could only go in there once a year. God was kind of hard to get to back then. But it won't be that way in heaven. You see, in heaven... The city itself is like the holy of holies. And we constantly live in this holy of holies in the presence of God. That is the promise that we read all the way back in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people. Where was God's dwelling place throughout much of the Bible? It was in the temple. It was in the Holy of Holies in this cube. And now John sees this cube of a city. And he says, now I see that God's dwelling place. No, no, no. There's no temple. There's no Holy of Holies. No, it is as if this whole city is that place. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, isn't that awesome? The reality is this, the presence of God is what makes heaven, heaven. Finally, this veil, if you will, that separates us and God, well, it's going to be gone forever, and we will have full and free access to the one we love. Somebody once said, we will enjoy the benefits of heaven, but the beauty of heaven is seeing God Best thing about heaven is that God will be there. 
Do you know what the second best thing of heaven will be? Satan won't be. Satan will not be there. One of the very best things about heaven is that the devil will not be there. He has no presence there. And this means that we will never be bothered again by temptation. Can you imagine that? Think about all the ways that you are tempted in this world that we live in. And this will be a place where you'll never be bothered by temptation again. For the very tempter is gone. Can you imagine the joy and the freedom that you and I will experience when temptation is a thing of the past. Uh, go on into chapter 22 with me briefly. Look at verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. See, in John's vision of heaven, he learns another really important detail. And it is this, there will not be any more curse. Now, this reference of how the earth was cursed, well, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back to the beginning of creation. In the garden, in Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve, they brought sin into the world by, by eating what they were not supposed to eat. Because of that sin, because of what they did, God cursed the world. And we have been living in a cursed world ever since. You ever pricked your thumb on a rose? Let that be a reminder that this was not God's original design. But in heaven, when we will dwell with God, this curse that we're under, it will be lifted it has been said before that right now, we live in a world where there is a constant threat of pain. From our mother's pain in childbirth to our children's pain at our funeral, there is pain. But it won't be like that in heaven. Because everything that is wrong, everything that is broken in this world, it is a result of sin. Our world has been cursed, but in eternity, that curse will be lifted, and it's really hard to comprehend. Uh, it's really hard to understand what life will be like not living in a fallen, cursed, sinful world. I'll tell you, heaven sounds wonderful, doesn't, doesn't it? And maybe you're asking this question right now. You're listening to all this and you're like, oh, that's where I want to be. I want to be with the Lord. I am so convicted right now. That's where I want to spend eternity. And if that's how you feel right now, maybe your question is, how do I reserve my spot? I want my name in that book. How does it get there? I'm going to tell you very simply that it starts with faith. You've got to believe that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross just for you. 
And you've got to believe that. You've got to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then that belief, that faith, takes you down to your knees and you repent before your heavenly father. You say, God, I am so sorry for what I've done and I desire to live for you. Please forgive me, I believe. And you dedicate the rest of your life to living for him. You unite with him in baptism. And, and that's like washing your sins away and it's like a pledge of a good conscience towards God. And it's like, I am your child now. I have been washed clean. I am gonna live for you. And you stay that way for the rest of your life. That's how you reserve your name in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, if that's you today, I hope right now that as you hear these words of mine, that you will go to your knees and you will repent of your sins. And you tell God, God, I desire to change teams. I want to be on your team. Oh Lord, I believe in you. It, it, it starts right, right there. And I want you to know that if you have any questions about any of that, any of you that are watching me right now, you feel free to pick up that phone. You feel free to start writing an email and you reach out for me and I would love to connect with you and talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you right now, you're watching me and maybe you've been watching our services and maybe you have just connected with us since all this COVID-19 stuff has started happening and you're like, I'm ready to follow Jesus and I wanna get baptized. I wanna get baptized soon. How do I do that? You know what, the app that you have on your phone, there is a place in there where you can go fill out a form and says, I'm ready to get baptized and we will reach out for you and we will set that up. Or you call the church office, you say, I'm ready to follow Jesus in baptism. Friends, COVID-19 may be a reality, but you know what else is? Our baptistry is, is ready to go and it is a reality as well. Let's unite with Christ. And if that's you, and if I'm talking to you, it's time to do some business with God. It's time for you to reserve your spot in heaven one day. Friends, I look forward. We've got one more message in this whole series of Revelation. I can't wait to unpack the few final verses together. I do believe God wants to show us a few more incredible things about what is to come. I invite you to join us. God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing through this series. Lord, I pray for those who are making the decision right now to follow you with all of their heart and to repent of their sins, Lord. I pray that you will come near to them and let them know, Lord, that you are close and that is the best decision of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness, that you would give us a strength and a perseverance to stand up under these strange times that we're living in. Lord, I pray that we will be a beacon of truth, that Lord, that the gospel that we preach will bind the devil and we might rescue more people from his clutches. Lord, I pray that is the influence that you allow us to have in these last days. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.